When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Austin, Texas, what's poppin'? Happy Tuesday, February 7th. It's a beautiful day, even though it's gloomy, it's still beautiful. Super Bowl weekend, we got our boy Super Bowl Stew already in Arizona. We gonna get to him a little bit later for the Horn Big Game coverage brought to you by Texas Truck and Trailer located in Leander, Crystal Falls Parkway, North Austin, and in North Austin, I-35 and Rutberg. Welcome to Chat and Zay. I know, y'all. This ain't Chad Hastings. Oh, you're damn right. No, no, no. We ain't. Chad ain't here at the moment. As the program director of the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM1260, you have a lot of responsibilities. So he's taking an important call from the 40 acres. Must be taken at 12. It ain't Chad's fault. It ain't Chad's fault. But... I am here, Zay Collier, happy to be here, follow me on Twitter, ain't that underscore Zay, we got a lot to talk about today, but first, let me introduce y'all to who's going to be rocking with me for this first hour or so, you just heard him on Light the Tower, he's behind the board, my man, you can follow him on Twitter at Cameron D. Parker, Cameron Parker, what's happening, bro? What's up, Say? Good to I, see you, brother. Good to see you too, man. It's been a minute since we've been, been on there. It's been a minute. I know. And my other guy, you see him, well, you don't see him. You should start seeing him behind the scenes. He makes great videos for us, makes us look good. I know people have been telling me, yo, Zay, these new videos, you got their fire, bro. He's the one that makes them for us. Like, he's the one that gets us right. You can follow him on Twitter at Jacob's Standard. My man, Jacob Sanders. What's good, bro? What's happening, Zay? What's How's good? It going, man? I'm I good, know. man. I'm good. You know, fellas, I ah, thought we'd be coming in here, which is a good day. I already said that, but, you know, there's a little good and bad for today. A little good news, bad news. Bad news, Horns lost last night. Yeah. Men's basketball, 88-80. to 80. Allen Fieldhouse, Kansas Jayhawks. We'll get to that. Good news is, though, Y'all should both know, and people on these airways should know, I love a good flip. Oh, I love a good flip. Like, I was going crazy when Colton Vosick, the Westlake guy, said, you know what, Coach Venables, Norman, not for me. I got family down here. I'm going to stay home. And he flipped from Oklahoma to Texas. Anthony Hill said, you know what, Jimbo, can't do it. I'm not with y'all smoking weed in the locker room. I'm not with, you know, you yelling at 
Nick Saban, the GOAT, and y'all doing that petty stuff that y'all been going through. I'm not with that and going five and seven and then just being in College Station. Like, Jacob, you lived in College Station for a little bit. It's not a good place to be. It's Sorry. a creepy place. It's be. a creepy place. It's yeah. Anthony Hill said, I can't do that. And flipped and came down here. And another one. What DJ Khaled always say with his annoying ass? Another one. <laughs> another flip today. Warren Roberson out of Red Oak, this four-star safety, was going to Fort Worth, and one of the most pettiest flips I've ever seen yeah. in my life. If y'all have seen that video, I've retweeted, retweeted it, ain't that underscore Zay. The man was with his boys wearing a TCU ugly-ass purple Letterman jacket and then threw on the Longhorn hat and ripped open that Letterman jacket like Michael Jackson Thriller and had that burnt orange underneath. Oh, it was beautiful, fellas. It was beautiful. Two things say. First thing, you mentioned DJ Khaled. How does he keep getting nominated for Grammys, dude? What does he do? What like what does he do? They had the video of like, you know, they have like videos of the artists when they were being nominated, right? He's like in front of like a sound mixer. He has never used that in his entire life. <laughs> He's done no music editing at all. Like he looked like he didn't even know what he was doing up there. Second thing, Good flip for Texas, especially for their secondary. The, the one positional group I was a little bit worried about in this class was the secondary. And Sark went out. He got Jalen Catalan, the Arkansas transfer, and picked up a, a really big flip for Warren Robinson, the four-star kid, who, reading his production through horns247.com, it, it sounds like he could be kind of a, a next Anthony Cook nickel type. He has the body for it. He's got good speed, a good size. He plays receiver, too, so you know he has the hands. Most likely will project to be a defensive starter, but a, a good move for Sark and the defensive staff to, to pick up Warren Robeson, I think, going forward because with Derek Williams, who a lot of people have compared Derek Williams to possibly the next Michael Huff. You know, that's, whoa, a, whoa, whoa. That, that's a big – I'm sorry, that, Mike, Mike Griffin. I think maybe Mike is Griffin. Is it Griff or Huff? I mean, either way. I think it's Griff. Think it's Griff. Those first-round picks. Yeah, two Jim Either Thorpe way, Award yeah. winners, right? So it, we were getting a little high with the comparisons, but a lot of even I think even Grip said it on the National Signing Day special on LHN that you know Derek Williams can be a stud. So with him, I think Robertson projects to be definitely a starter by his hopefully his sophomore year. And then if Catalan can stay healthy, the Texas secondary, which you know had some ups and downs throughout the season, could end up being a strength for Texas, considering they're going to lose a couple guys on that side of the ball. Yeah, you know, you could you make that comparison, which I like, the Derrick Williams comparison to Griff. Hopefully he's uh, maybe more unselfish than Griff and will pay people what they owe if they make bets with him. Mm. Like, Griff didn't pay me when I dunked the ball at Bowie High School circa 2006. And Michael Griffin being hot in the NFL, like first-round first, first round pick, I think 19th pick of that year, 2006. I know somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. The man thought he was... That dude came back to Bowie, Jacob, playing in pickup basketball and said, Zay, I bet you a thousand right now you can't go dunk that ball two hands. I'm not going to lie. dollars on him? Just right I, there? I'm, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Where's it at? I went up there. It, it wasn't the best dunk. I'm not going to lie. It was a little weak. It, it was a little weak. Uh, and oh, he said he, he hasn't paid me since. I can use it now. You see inflation. You see how much eggs are. Like, I, I could use that extra thou, but, you know, that's a Plus different interest. story. Yeah, that's a different story for a different day. But, yeah, Cam, I'm, I'm really excited about Roberson. You know, this coaching staff, they've done a hell of a job in this recruiting class. I know it starts with Arch Manning. I mentioned Anthony Hill and Cedric Baxter Jr., but 
just to get more depth in that secondary. It's huge. You mentioned Jalen Catalong, the Arkansas transfer, which we're all crossing our fingers there. Hopefully he's healthy. He hasn't been healthy these last two seasons up at Fayetteville. And then you got Gavin Holmes, the Wake Forest transfer. Maybe he could take the place. Him and Terrence Brooks, I think they're going to be fighting for you know playing time while taking the place of uh, Deshaun Jamison. So it's going to be an exciting spring. I'm really looking forward uh, to the orange and white game, even though that doesn't tell you everything, really doesn't tell you nothing. But I, I just want to see those new guys get out there and get some reps. So, uh, Jacob, let me ask you this. With how the horns look this past season, what do you think is the necessity for Steve Sarkeesian and this football team or if they need anything at all? I mean, we saw the schedule come out, U of H on the schedule, BYU Sorry. on the schedule. It looks good. Like, and then, you know, we saw what happened with the Big 12. It looks like we're going to be here two more years. So you have two more chances to win the Big 12 and get to Arlington, which I think you should this next upcoming season, 2023. But how do you feel going about this 2023 season? And do you think this 2023 class is good enough to help win a Big 12 championship? Sure, absolutely. With my job here at the Horn, I get lucky enough they put me in positions I should never be in. So for the entire football season, I was able to sit in the press box and watch most of these games. That's right! Yeah, so I got I got to see it up close and personal. And I don't know what solves it. There's a reason I'm a fill-in host and not a full-time host. <laughs> but what I would love to see is I need to see this team stop just dying offensively in the second half. Because there was plenty of games I went to where they either went up big or the defense held the other team in check, and then the offense could not do anything in the second half. So I need to see something where you take that momentum you built in the first half and come out in the second half firing. Thank you, CB. Mike Griffin was drafted 2007. And, Jacob, yeah, I, I feel you, bro. Those second-half woes, they were a huge problem this year. Like, there are multiple times this season where this team would put up 30-something points in that first half, and then in the second half they'd put up, like, a three or a six. And that's just – a lot of that's on Steve Sarkeesian. A lot Man. of that's on Quinn Ewers. A lot of that is on these wide receivers not getting open and dropping balls. You know, and in year three for Steve Sarkeesian, you're hoping that the growth is going to be there because you can't rely on Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson anymore. That right. was a nice thing to rely on. Bijan Robinson, most missed tackles we've seen in this last decade from a running back position. You ain't going to get that back. I love Cedric Baxter and what he's going to bring in. I know Jonathan Brooks is going to be, you know, it could be special. I still don't really know what Keelan Robinson is. I want to. I wish that I knew what he was, but we don't see him enough. Like, we, we just don't. We see him on those gadget plays every once in a while, and Keelan Robinson might get two touches a game. The touches that he got in the Alamo Bowl, even though he started, they weren't beneficial to his game or the offense. So hopefully we can find something for him. But, yeah, uh, Cam, just those second-half woes, that's going to have to improve this season if you want to get to Arlington. Bijan and Roshan Johnson were two guys that did a lot for the Texas offense when Sark was in a bind. Uh, they did a lot, right? A lot of quick fixes. I mean, how many times did Bijan and Roshan break tackles that they weren't supposed to break, right? Losses where it should have been probably third and 11, turned the first down because of Bijan and Roshan's ability to break tackles. And now Sark does not have that to be able to rely on, right? So it's going to be up to Jonathan Brooks, Cedric Baxter Jr., and possibly Jaden Blue. But now the good news, I think, is that last year we saw how troubled the passing game was once Isaiah Nair went down and, and Quinn Ewers, you know, he had his ups and downs as he developed through what was really his first year of 
football since his junior year of high school football at South Lake Carroll is now Nayers back. You bring in A.D. Mitchell from Georgia. You got Jonte Cook coming in, Ryan Niblett coming in. Another year development for Xavier Worthy, who can finally probably play the position that he needs to be playing because he was out of, out of at certain points throughout the year he was playing out of position as the wide out, the deep threats that him and Ewers just didn't connect on. Hopefully that changed with Isaiah Nayer out there. It opens up the, the playing field for Quinn Ewers. You get one more year of Jatavian Sanders coming in. And most importantly, the offensive line can finally get another spring, another summer to develop. Because at certain points, even as, as good as they were throughout the years, say, there was times where Sark had to bring in an extra tight end the block, and uh, Andre Kerrick to come in as kind of that H-back tight end blocker spot because he didn't trust his offensive line to keep yours from getting destroyed. And so when you have just two wideouts running two routes, it's easier to crack down on, especially when yours only had chemistry with X, right? He was going to throw to Xavier Worthy, and I'm sure a lot of defensive coordinators throughout the entire year was just like, hey, he's going to zone in on Xavier Worthy, and a lot of times it's going to be inaccurate. Just make sure you don't tackle Worthy and draw a defensive pass interference. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree, and I, I'm so hesitant on throwing Isaiah Nayor in there when we have these talks. You know, I ACL injury, everybody Tough, comes man. back different, and I know with modern medicine, Troy yeah, Troy O'Mary, I, I don't want that to happen. I hope Troy O'Mary does well when he's in Phoenix playing for Arizona State, but... For Isaiah Nayar to come back and hopefully he comes back and be at 100%, but to put stuff on his shoulders, like just having that addition to A.D. Mitchell, that's huge. And Jay Witt, someone reminded me of the Specs text line, you get another year of Jay Witt too, who who had his most healthy year since being on the 40 Acres, which yeah. is a positive sign and hopefully he continues that health next year because Texas is going to definitely need his leadership in the locker room and most definitely is going to need his experience and his playmaking on the football field. Yeah, he didn't even get the ball enough. No. Like he, he didn't get the ball like damn enough. No, the that's one that a serious out to issue. Me is the Oklahoma State game. We got to travel to that one and go see that one in person in the entire second half. What did we go into the half with the lead at? Like 35-14? <sighs> I think it was just either 14 points. I don't remember exactly. Either way. What I remember mostly about that game is the 30 incompletions and the 15-0 right. penalties. Right, exactly. And so every time we knew he was throwing to X, he was going to go deep to X, double coverage, doesn't matter. Jay Witt's running crossing routes underneath, wide open, pick up the first down, keep the drive moving. It was 31-24 at halftime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, that was, they didn't do enough of those under, underneath stuff. Like, that's what Steve Sarkeesian – made a lot of his money on. Yes, Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith and, you know, Jalen Wallow and all those guys could go deep, but those guys were big-time yards-after-catch guys. And it made life easy for Tua and Mac Jones, well, especially with all the talent that they got around those guys. You talked about the offensive line, Cam. They didn't have those problems yeah. at Bama. Tua and Mac still. were never worried about getting their face smashed on the turf. Yeah. Well, like when Tua yours was, and, and Sam and everyone else, yeah. Yeah, Tua couldn't fall. No. Like, that, that was on him. We know how he falls. Like, yeah, we sure the three do. three concussions that he, we saw this year, I mean – that's just brutal, and the Dolphins, they got a problem on their hands for sure. But, yeah, I think to what you're saying, Cam, on not trusting the offensive line, Sark had a lot of PTSD when Quinn went out and gets Alabama yep. at home this year. That, that changed a lot of the play calling, and I think that changed a lot of the way Quinn Ewers went about his play because, you know, that Oklahoma game was fool's gold. 49-0, Oklahoma 
at that state, they were trash. With no Dylan Gabriel, they were trash. I love that win. It was fun being there. Your boy had his Fletcher's corn dog, Ray the Roll, had my funnel cake. It wasn't even 9 a.m. Great time. Wouldn't it trade it for the world? But at the end of the day, just keeping it real, Oklahoma at that point in the season was trash. Mm-hmm. So Quinn Ewers went into the rest of the season, and he talked about in the presser in the Al- uh, Alamo Bowl, yeah, I got a little ahead of myself on just thinking it was sweet out here and life was easy. Nah, bruh. Nah. Yeah, it's like you said, Cam, and fellas, I haven't played, just speaking on Quinn Ewers, I haven't played really since junior year of uh, high school. Like going to Ohio State, that was cool and all. And yeah, I did learn a lot of things, but man, and again, Steve Sarkeesian did not put him in situations that he should have. Yeah. Being the freshman quarterback, I know Quinn Ewers can make all the throws. We, we, that's the biggest thing about him, can make all the throws, makes it look easy, beautiful arm. But hey, Trevor Lawrence, he had his struggles in the NFL this year. Remember how big he's, everybody's been talking about him? Like, he still has things to learn. Yeah, he got in the Pro Bowl and all, but that's because Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Joe Burrow said, we ain't going. He also had Urban Meyer holding him back. So yeah, like, that's true. I mean, that's like, what, negative five years of development <laughs> when Urban Meyer is your head coach? Yeah, Urban Meyer was worried about that. And the best part, Zay. Jacksonville ass off yeah, the field, too. He's not taking the plane back You can remind, remind Chad this, is that the passing game coordinator under Urban Meyer was Brian Schottenheimer, who will be the new Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator next year? Now, hopefully, well, we, I don't know if it's hopeful or not, but Mike McCarthy's <laughs> calling the plays, so expect a lot of slants and, and flats out of the Cowboys offense. But going back to your point about Quinn Ewers, it felt like Sark had his hand, he had one hand tied behind his back the entire season with play calling. And I always hear this point. I think Trent Delfer made it on the Ryan Rosillo podcast. Oh, and it's, it's stuck with Trent Delfer. Yo, man, be be careful when we're speaking you, about Trent Dilfer. You, you see what he just said recently? Did we see what his Brady Rogers? Just, Trent, Trent, come on, dog, come on, bro. Like, uh, easy. The game's easy. I love Tom Brady. I love Aaron Rodgers, but the game's just easy now. I have no respect for these guys. I think it is. I mean, uh, it, is, it is. But I, I think Trent Brady Rodgers would have, you put him in any era, they're going to figure out ways to win football games. I do think it's easier for a quarterback to come in. I mean, look at Brock Purdy, right? I don't. He, they didn't have the Kyle Shanahan system in 2001. Quarterbacks like him wouldn't have made it. But now in this new positional style of offense, you can plug in a quarterback and just say, hey, as long as you don't turn the ball over, we're going we're gonna to win a ball game. I get what Trent Dilfer was trying to say. I, I, I get what he was trying to say. But it's Trent Dilfer saying it. If Aikman okay. would have said it, so you're anti Dilfer. I'm, I'm just like Dilfer. You're not in Canton, bro. Like you don't have four time MVP Aaron Rodgers. Say what you want about his life off the field. You know Tom Brady. Say what you want about him kissing his son and stuff. Them boys, some dudes. Them boys put the ball on the money. And there's a clip going around because Trent Dilfer is speaking crazy on Trent Dilfer throwing in the Super Bowl. And it was one of the worst passes I've ever seen to a wide-open guy on the go route on the long sideline. I'll retweet that too later on on Ain't That Underscore Zay. But uh, I, just, I get what he was trying to say. And you're right, Cam. There are things and the reason that the NFL, you know, the fact that it's changed and it's made the, you know, the game easy. You can't hit nobody. I get that. But Trent, relax. I would argue it's actually a little bit harder to play quarterback. As we move into this more position-type football, they're not just handing the ball off and running play action 90% of the game. And you got safeties playing linebacker. 
like you have five wide sets and you got to find the open spot every time, I would argue it's a little bit tougher to play quarterback now than it was. Well, I, I feel like what his point was was made was that a lot of quarterbacks now they don't make the play call at the line of scrimmage. Like a lot of times, they're everything is taken off their plate where all they have to do is make the throw. Right, the read is there, the play call is there. They have the hot right going in. So when they get to the huddle, Brock Purdy already probably knows, hey. The ball is going to Ayuk on this play. The ball is going to Debo on this play. The ball is going to C-Mac. I think a lot of times in the, in the 2000s and going back, it, it was up to the quarterback to make the, the, the read and the throw. Now, there's, there's quarterbacks that still do that, right? Jalen Hurts still has to make a read on the read option. We know Dak does it because he has his struggles and stuff. But what Delfer's point was is that a quarterback is only as good as his play caller. And I think that applies not only to Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott, and it applies to Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts, but it applies to Sarkeesian and Quinn Ewers, right? Because it felt like at certain times Sark was calling plays like he was at Alabama, right? Where he yeah. had Ruggs, he had Devontae Ignit. Smith, Just he, had, Ignit. he had Ignit experienced mindset. offensive linemen when that was not the case at Texas. And I think he had a lot of trouble trying to understand the balance of those play calls, but without you know getting his quarterback killed or while his quarterback making a bonehead decision, which we saw a handful of times throughout the year. So I think as Sark continues to grow as a play caller, because let's face it, this is probably the toughest task he's had since Washington. I mean, he he had more talent at Atlanta. He had more talent at Alabama, obviously, and going back to USC Washington. like He's had to kind of build this program from scratch again because of all the turmoil it was in in the early 2010s, and now we're starting to see development in, in recycling class. I mean, all the, all the good recruiting classes that Tom Herman brought in, most of them were churned thanks to attrition, right, Say? Yeah, so it's sure. not like he's had the same recruiting classes that, that Nick Saban have had in back-to-back-to-back since 2009. Now, you can see that as an excuse, but it's just going to take time for Sark to get the guys that he wants. But for Sark, he has to figure out how to be a smart play caller and understand the needs and the strengths of this Texas team that do not have the outside talent he's at Alabama, do not have the, the strength up front that he had at Alabama, but it's starting to get there. Yeah, and that's why, Cam, I'm going to question until it's proven to me, until Texas starts winning over nine games, until Texas starts getting to Arlington, which you only have two years left, but getting to where Texas needs to be with what you're saying I'm always going to question Steve Sarkeesian, are you, do you have too much responsibility as a head coach to go out there and worry about the offensive line, the defense, the secondary, the coaches? Oh, also, you being at the University of Texas, which Mac Brown did this better than anyone, understanding the boosters yep. in this new age of NIL. Head so it's coach different. and a CEO. Yeah, so who knows if Mac would have been able to do that with NIL back then. That's that's who knows. Even as good as Mac Brown was on and off the field, who knows if he would be able to be that CEO in this modern age. We're seeing it at North Carolina, and he's over here bitching about their schedule and having to play like North Carolina State and uh, uh, Clemson in the same year. Like he's it's bitching ACC, about bro. That's what on. I'm saying. We're, that's why I say, like, Mac, come on, dog. You lose some of your edge. Let's not lose it. You, let's not lose that edge. But for real, like Steve Sarkeesian, d- until it's proven to me, I'm always going to question, man, You are you wearing too many hats, dog, to be calling these plays? And that's what Big Mike's going to have to worry about this year. Like, um, you know, and Mike's, Mike is already on the hot seat. Talk about Dak being on the hot seat. Mike, you on the hot seat now. Because Schottenheimer ain't going to get that. Why? Nobody, you ain't calling the plays. He cool. 
Kellen Moore, they said, you could be this. Kellen Moore said, nah, I got more pride, bro. I'm going to go hang out with Brandon Staley in L.A. and be on the beach and not worry about that uh, crazy weather that y'all got last week up there in North Texas. The good news is that if McCarthy fails as a play caller, he's gone. It means Dallas Cowboys will have a brand-new head coach in 2024. The bad news is that Mike McCarthy is calling plays for a full year. Because, I mean, I know he won the Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, but and Rodgers had his issues with coaches. That's been well documented. But still, the Green Bay Packers did not have any, did not have real sustained playoff success after they beat Pittsburgh. Now, remember during his job interview with Jerry when he spent the night say he said he he spent the entire year, entire year studying RPO in all the NFL offenses. So you know maybe it's rubbed off on him. I, I, I don't know, but. The bright side, the the glass half full side of me as a Cowboy fan is that at least we're only going to get one more year of Mike McCarthy, and if it works out and he and he excels in the because I'm it's going to take at least an appearance in the NFC Championship game to keep Mike McCarthy on staff. But my guess is 2024, Dan Quinn will be the head coach, and Dallas will be looking for a new offensive coordinator. Okay, okay. Wow. How about this? Um, do you think Jerry Jones was making breakfast in his underwear when Big Mike spent the night? Mm. <laughs> Why you that, say that's, that's an image. Why I don't want to. I don't want. <laughs> Why'd you say? Mm, like, I hope it's because mm, breakfast sounds good, and I know you were just doing the. I, show I don't know. I don't know what Jerry's cooking up at, at his house. I'm sure he's got a good kitchen kitchen staff cooked up for him. That sounds like the worst slumber party of all time. Uh, Mike McCarthy, Mark McCarthy, and Jerry Jones were they just watching reruns of Bonanza on TV. <laughs> that sounds awful. Before we uh, get to break, Jake, let me ask you this: How do you feel about Big Mike calling plays now? I'm okay with it. I think it actually benefits Dak. I think uh, Kellen, I think he was a little too advanced for Dak, and I agree with Cameron's point about, you know, your quarterback's only as good as the person calling plays for him. Um, I think this could help Dak because it's going to dumb it down a little bit. It's going to move it more to an old-school style of offense where they run the ball first, lead with the with the run, and then play action, hit them deep across the middle, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think we'll see less five-wide all-curls, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be interesting, but I appreciate you fellas. I know Chad Hasty is out of that phone call that he was in or on on the 40 Acres, but Cameron D. Parker, follow him on Twitter. Jacob Standard, follow him on Twitter also. Fellas, good looking out, man. Cheers, sir. Yeah, appreciate it. I'm just glad I didn't hit the censor. <laughs> Absolutely. When we get back, we're going to talk Texas basketball and that loss last night against the Kansas Jayhawks at Fog Allen Field House. This is Chad and Zay. I am Zay Collier. This is The Horn, 1049-1019 AM1260. We'll be back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There we go. 
We got a completely rude text from our man Nate. Conspiracy theory. Chad's getting fired today. Management can't handle the Aggie anymore. How dare you, Nate? We just had to have a little meeting after all this crazy power outage stuff. We're trying to make sure things are covered around here. And the Def Leppard is the way you know that I'm still in the house. Shout out to all the great Def Leppard fans, including to the one uh, I married. This would be your Armageddon it, right, by Def Leppard? Yeah. Come on, Steve. Get it. I'm Chad Hastings. Isaiah Collier alongside. Thanks to Zay and the crew for handling that first segment. Zay, how are we doing today? I'm good, man. How you doing? Good, good. You ready for the high school game tonight? We're going to preview it a little later on, but uh, you got a big one tonight. Big. Huge. That's at Westlake or at Buda? At Westlake. At Westlake. Okay, so yeah. Westlake hosting Buda Johnson. We'll get Zay's thoughts on that in the 1 o'clock hour. We may need to rearrange a couple things because our man Super Bowl Stu is trying to set us up with Sam Monson of PFF. That's right, Pro Football Focus. We're going to get nerdy on the Super Bowl with Sam. Can't wait to, uh, for that. We were trying for that at 1 o'clock, but it may need to be more like 1.30 because Sam is in high demand there uh, on Radio Row. So we're going to be flexible with their schedule so we may take the flex and put it a little bit towards the top of the hour and we may talk to Sam Monson at about 1.30. Just listen to the whole 1 o'clock hour. You'll, you'll, you'll be fine. Uh, coming up in the crap bag, I want to talk some Grammys, but right now we need to talk Longhorn basketball. I know the guys got into some football earlier. Congrats to Longhorn football fans. Uh, I still love as a, a born and raised Waxahachian, I love that a Red Oak kid was a big focus for Texas folks. It shows you how that area has blown up. That area, not just north of Dallas, but the areas south of Dallas have really blown up with talent, Zay. So that's very, very cool. Warren Roberson, and he is signed now. Remember, we always try to make the distinction between a commit and a signee. That's the difference here. He was a TCU commit. But he is now a Texas signee because he signed the national letter of intent today. Yeah, Jacob, Cam, and I, we briefly talked about his signing video. Have you seen that yet? I've not seen it. Oh, for someone who loves a good signing video. Did he do a good job? It's one of the best ones I've ever seen. Nice. The man had on a TCU Letterman jacket. Oh. And, then and he, he had his boys around him. He swerved it at the end. And he swerved it at the end. Well done. Well done. It was beautiful. Well done. Yeah. All right. So Warren Roberson, the 25th member of that 23 group for Texas. We'll definitely talk football today, but to the basketball court, Texas goes to Allen Fieldhouse last night, and they couldn't quite get out of church without having to pay some extra fees, Zay. 88-80 was the final. Uh, Give me your thoughts on this game. Yet another game where we see Texas fall down double digits and have to fight and claw and scratch. It's just a tough thing to do at Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, I'm not liking that pattern. You know, it's cool. Like, we talked about it yesterday. We love that they have heart, love that they have passion. I love Coach Terry's adjustments, which he did a good job of making those adjustments again in the second half. But you can't keep getting down these double-digit games and trying to come back. It's not going to happen every time, especially, like you said, Chad, at Allen Fieldhouse. And if you're going to tell me Jalen Wilson's only going to have two points, I'm like, oh, we're going to win by 20. Right? 
We go win by 20. And Carr's going to have 29. Yeah, Marcus Carr's going to have 29. <laughs> oh my God. Timmy Allen going to have 18. Life's going to be good. What wouldn't you bet that Texas would win that game if I just told you those two things? 29 for Carr, two for Wilson. Bet everything you've got. It was like, Chad, Coach Terry had a big-ass billboard that just said, Stop Jalen Wilson. And then somebody asked, But, Coach, what about the other guys? And Coach Terry was like, What other guys? Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like. Yeah, I, That's what it felt like. And the back-against-your-wall mentality that Coach Self had and gave his team last night, like he said it in this press conference, if you go down like four, five games in this conference with seven left, you're probably not going to win a Big 12 title. And his team, they knew that. After that embarrassing loss at Hilton Coliseum against Iowa State, they came back two nights later and they played like it. They played very desperate. And I've been saying, you know, for the last few weeks with Kansas basketball, everything starts with Dewan Harris. Everything. And Coach Self, being the Hall of Famer he is, the first play of the game, Chad, or Dewan Harris. Not even 15 seconds go on the clock. They run that nice little, you know, misdirection, pick and roll. McCuller comes up. He leaves, pretends to go pick. And then K.J. Uh, Adams comes up and sets the screen. Dewan Harris got the layup. I say, damn it. Right mm-hmm. off that play. Just start, I go, damn it. You, that's you, genius. Yeah. To get him going because he knows. You knew that's trouble. That's trouble. As Dewan Harris goes, as far as Kansas goes. So, I... It's great coaching by Bill Self. You know, Kevin McCuller, he was tough. He had three and one finishes, and they all came at timely moments. And then Grady Dick, like me and you, Joe Cook. I don't know if we were talking about it off air or on air. I don't remember, but we were talking about I said, I don't know how this guy's a lottery pick. I don't see it. Did he hear our show yesterday? He must have. He must have heard us. He must have. He must have. Because when he hit that step back three on Marcus Carr, I said, oh, that's what the NBA scouts are talking about. Wow. That was so nasty. There were multiple times last night. There were only two threes that he made, but the one that was set up with the, what, two different offensive rebounds to work it back out to him, that was huge. But then so many big shots throughout the night. Seven of 11, five of six from the line. He was was big time. Yeah, and then Joseph Yosefu, he he couldn't have been on the scouting report. Three points a game, Chad. Mm -hmm. Three points a game. Coach Self only played eight. And it seemed like all every person on their team stepped up. Like Uday Jr., he played eight minutes and was huge. Those six points that he had in those eight minutes, he stole the ball from Marcus Carr, mm-hmm. had that nasty and one dunk where he missed the free throw. They got the ball back, and then Dewan Harris had a layup. That was a four-point swing. So as close as the Horns got all game, tying the game, being down by one at one point, being down by four in the second half, Kansas would just always make a play and just slowly, you know, get a Kevin McCullough would get an and one or KJ Allens would have a tip dunk. And, you know, what really hurt, which was ball game at the end, a couple of daggers, the possession where KJ Adams had two tip back offensive rebounds to give the Jayhawks two extra possessions. And Grady Dick hit a corner three to make it 69-60. That was mm-hmm. ball game right there. Yep. I know Marcus Carr had his 29 and made the game a little interesting at the end, but those were fool's gold points. And then right after that, that was Tyrese Hunter 
loses the ball, like throws a hundred mile hour pass to Serge Ibari Rice, and they're like four feet within each other. <laughs> and then Dewan Harris makes that beautiful one hand pass to Joseph Yesifu, who used his forty two inch vertical on that nasty two hand tomahawk. 71-60 ball game. That's when I knew it was over. Oh, yeah. That sequence ended it. That was it. That was such a nasty dunk, too. Oh, boy, it, it looked was. like Spud Webb. It was. I mean, it's hard to believe as I look at the stat sheet, but no lead changes in the game. Zero. Is that donut. That has, is, that, is that right? Ofer. Uh That's obviously not great, and yet you're absolutely right. Just like in these games where Texas had found a way to – we've watched them hold teams off in some of their wins – Kansas did exactly that. They had a run when they needed it. They went fast break when they needed it. Some of the big numbers for me, 24-8 to eight Kansas in fast breaks. If you let them do that at the church, you're done. It's over because that place is louder than every other place, and when they tempo it up, it just turns into a nuthouse. They let that happen, and Zay, 50-42 in the paint. In a game you lost by eight, you got outscored by eight close to the basket. Yeah. Yeah, and story of the game right there. I always talk about if a team makes more free throws than you shoot, that's a bad sign. Kansas made 22, Texas only shot 18. Mm. We knew Texas weren't going to yep. win the foul battle in Allen Fieldhouse. That's basically a 90-10 chance going Kansas's way. But, yeah, just like you said, Chad, 24-8, to eight fast break points, that's unacceptable. you got to get back. If you're Coach Terry, we're watching film on that. I know they watch film at halftime. That's a big part of Coach Terry's second-half adjustment success. But you got to get back on defense. You cannot allow them to get going and run like they did. And Kansas only hit two threes that game, but those two threes came at the most timely moments. The Grady Dick step back three on Marcus Carr that led to a timeout, and then the one I just talked about to make it 69 to 60 mm-hmm. off of those KJ Adams second chance, uh, uh, you know, second chance possessions. So it's great rebounds. Man. Yeah, yeah, they, they were just timely. Everybody was tough, and to allow Jalen Wilson to only have two points, but to still lose by eight. That's tough. really is. That's tough. But we talked about that four-game stretch, starting with Tennessee, then Baylor, then Kansas State, then Kansas last night, to go 2-2, two and two, to win the home game, to beat the team that already beat you, so mm-hmm. now you split it. I'll take that two and two. That's the perfect two and two that you could have happen. Yeah, found a ro- yeah, right. You found a road win and you know, you lost at honestly, if you made me pick, I'd have probably chosen those two places. Gonna be tough to win at Tennessee yeah. with that crew and gonna be tough to win at Allen Fieldhouse. So they got the octagon of doom, protected home court, two and two through that four. What sucks about those two losses though, Tyrese Hunter got outplayed by the main guards and both of those main guards Zakai Ziegler in Tennessee, which had 22 and 10, and Dewan Harris for Kansas, who had 18, 6 and 5, both controlled the game. Yeah, they did. You're right. Both of those guys controlled the game. That mm. was the difference. That's yeah. and now we're back at Tyrese Hunter. Like we we just gotta get more. Simple and plain. We, right. we gotta get more from him when he plays well and when he outplays his matchup. You see that the Horns have a good chance of winning, but when his matchup outplays him. Like Dewan Harris and Sakai Ziegler did in those two losses in this four-game span, yep. this is 
a result you're going to get. And yeah, Kansas had all those guys step up. KJ went over double digits. McCuller did. Grady Dick had 22. And then back at uh, Tennessee, Kamwa had that 26 points. But still, both point guards controlled the game and those two losses. No doubt. All right, Texas falls to 19-5 and overall. They're 8-3 and in conference play. Next up, it is a Saturday morning affair with West Virginia. If you want to get to the Moody Center and welcome them back home after that crazy road trip, Saturday at 11. Lots of stuff going on around here. Get you some of that rescheduling that I was discussing earlier in the show, uh, including a coach's show that's moving tonight. Up next, though, in the crap bag, let's talk about 50 years of hip-hop at the Grammys and a couple other things. Uh, Coming up in the 1 o'clock hour, Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus joining us from Radio Row. Remember to check out hornfm.com for all of the Big game coverage with our man, Super Bowl Stew, and it is brought to you by the good folks at Texas Truck and Trailer. Stay with us. This is The Horn. Uh, rolling through a little Tuesday here. I really don't know for sure. I'm probably gonna mm, know your the- wife would not like that. Yeah, I'm gonna know the name when you say it. Probably, I'll go. Linda Ronstadt. No, Babs. Oh, see, it's you, and I should have known. I should have known. Every once in a while, you're like a you're like one of those pitchers that has like five pitches. That can throw five pitches, but only throws four in every game. But you got that one pitch you'll save for just a certain moment. It's like, oh no, he threw the slurvy slider. Like, what do you mean he threw the slurvy? Oh yeah, it's crazy. It moves six times, never throws it. But when he throws it, you never hit it. Yeah, that's what you do with Barbara Streisand. Well done, well done, Barbara Streisand and Def Leppard, who need to go on tour together. Start off the show today. Now, who's the dude that Barbara Streisand's hugged up with in the album cover? Who's that? Um. Well, the the guy she's been with in real life—that's James Brolin. But uh, is this on the what is this on the original? Like a star is born. Is that what you're saying? Like that it says guilty, which that's what the song's called. Oh, guilty. Okay. See, I don't know enough about her discography and uh, discography her her uh, filmography, so I'm not sure. Okay. There's no telling. It's Barbara Streisand. Yeah, because yeah, somebody said that's baby-making music, and the way she's cuffed up with old boy. It is, baby. You can feel it. Yeah. <laughs> you can feel the love. You can feel the vibe that Barbara was in when she made the song. You can feel that love. Uh, and you could feel the love coming from Warren Roberson earlier today. The Red Oak uh, defensive back does pick Texas and signs. I did just see the video. Zay sent it to me. And it is cold-blooded, but it's also kind of fantastic. Uh, apparently, so the friends around school had been telling him to flip. Yeah, you could tell. And then then You he could decided. tell they wanted this flip. Yeah, they were very excited once it happened. So he is there in the TCU letter jacket, pull, picks up the Texas hat. So then you got the orange hat on top and the purple 
jacket, and then he just rips it. And we all, if you know those jackets, you can just rip those jackets open. And then he's wearing a Texas shirt underneath. So congrats to Warren Roberson. Like I always say, go ahead and take that power while you've got it, because uh, even nowadays you kind of give up some of that power when you make your choice. So Warren decides that burnt orange is going to be his color, and Austin's going to be his town instead of the purple and Fort Worth and going that direction. So uh, Texas gets that big victory today. Obviously they did not get the victory at Allen Fieldhouse. We've been talking about both of those things. Super Bowl is coming up a little later this week, of course. We'll get into some of that talk. Uh, we'll get into a flex segment next hour. We'll move things around. Flex segment at uh, 1 o'clock. Zay will give you a little preview of Westlake and Buta Johnson tonight. We'll tell you where you can see Zay live on your television. And uh, at 1.30 next hour, we'll talk with Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus and get his thoughts on the Super Bowl and the whole breakdown. Uh, before we get into the crap bag, a quick reminder, tonight, Vic Schaefer and Longhorn Weekly special edition was going to air on 105.3 The Bat, but they're still working on the signal of The Bat, so it's going to be right here on The Horn for you. 6.30 tonight, Vic Schaefer and Longhorn Weekly. They, the Texas women's team, also in first place in the Big 12, just like the men were going into last night. So, and now that would be a tie situation um, with, we got one other team tied, say, do I have that right? Or is Texas still technically in first place? Texas is still in first place, but Iowa State... They have a chance to be tied for first when they play on Wednesday. They play West Virginia. That's what it is. Okay, I knew if Texas lost, there'd be some opportunity. There it is, yeah. Iowa State would be 8-3 and three and tied with Texas. So Longhorns, no worse than a tie as they go through the week uh, for first place there. By, by the way, Chad, that yeah. brother or the dude in the picture with Babs. Yep. Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees. Oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah. Hey, and that, that time frame, he was a big dog now. <laughs> he was a big dog back then. Very Gibb. Come on now. Uh, the only surviving BG, I think. Oh, man. I think Barry's the only one that's left. I think that's right. I have to double-check that one. All right. Uh, let's get you a crap bag here. We'll keep talking a little bit of music today. Chad's Crap Bag. Crap Bag. If you need an easy way to remember it, just think of a bag of crap. All right. Brought to you by AV Consultations, uh, 255-8678. Or go to avconsultations.com. I said we needed to talk a little bit more Grammys and specifically about that 50 years of hip-hop montage that they did, LL Cool J and all kinds of different performers up on that stage. As a 48-year-old music fan, I was in awe of what I was seeing because there was a time at the Grammys where the folks that loved rap got no attention, none. First off, they had no award. And then there were those years where you'd say, oh, you know, they presented a rap award this year. Oh, did they? I watched. I didn't see it. Yeah, no, not on TV. They didn't put it there. They put it somewhere else. Two of my favorite forms of anger-fueled music are rap and metal. And I was more of a metal guy growing up, but I certainly appreciated rap. I tried to get into to some of it here and there and appreciate what it was. But both of them would kind of get dissed at the Grammys. You'd maybe get, like, one metal award. But... Sometimes it was off, you know, off the broadcast. There was the famous thing where Jethro Tull won a medal award, showing us that the Grammys didn't know what medal was, and Metallica fans were upset. All those kind of things. But then last, uh, then not last night, then Sunday night, I watched this 50 years of rap slash hip hop montage, and I realized, oh my god, this form of music has crossed over. And gotten its claws into popular music in a way that the Grammys never thought it would happen. 
ever, Zay. They did not think it was possible, but it has happened. So congrats to all you rap fans, all you hip-hop fans. I know in a way having the Grammys acknowledge you sometimes can mean bad news. I, you could make that argument. But when the Grammys recognize you, what it means is you have crossed over and you have transcended a little bit. The Grammys right now feels like there's a lot of pop going on, but everything else really does have a connection to rap or hip-hop. For me and all the metalheads out there, there was an award at the Grammys this year where Ozzy, Elvis Costello, and Machine Gun Kelly were all up for the same award. (laughs) You want to talk about the Grammys being confused. Best rock performance went to Brandi Carlile. Now, is that album kind of a rock album? Yeah, I guess. But it didn't quite feel right on brand and then the best metal performance i love him to death but ozzy won it that kind of tells you that there may not be as many new artists out there pushing that genre that the grammys would actually care about but when you look at the rap and hip-hop world it's incredible what's going on there so shout out to all you rap fans i hope you watch the grammys if you're my age around my age even when zay's in his 30s if you get a ch- got a chance to see it, I hope you took pride in that. Because there was a day when the Grammys wanted nothing to do with the world of rap. Sunday night, not only did they have that whole montage, but we all sat there and watched Beyonce become the single greatest Grammy winner ever. Incredible. Is Beyonce rap? Nope. Is she hip-hop? Kinda. She won her awards on Sunday for dance slash electronic music. Did you catch that? I did not. She was in those categories. That's how wide-reaching no, rap okay. and hip-hop have become. Her two categories, I think, were like electric, electronic slash dance that, music. That makes sense. The Her last album was like that... A little more electric techno, yeah, a little more dance EDM, EDM type vibe. A little more of that showing yeah. that she is, you know, grabbing on to some of the more the, the kind of the modern sounds yeah, and everything. Sure. So a really interesting, uh, you know, watching of the Grammys. You do have to remember there are plenty of wild, bad, crazy. What is the Grammy thinking stories? My favorite Grammy fact of all time. This is true. The day Jimi Hendrix died, he had not won a Grammy. Y'all realize that, right? Mm. 20 years after he died, they gave him a Lifetime Achievement Award. (laughs) So, I'm just saying, for the longest time, the Who had never won a Grammy. Ever. Not one. So, let's not pretend like the Grammys can't make mistakes and be weird about stuff. But boy, have they come all the way back around uh, on the rap genre. It was fun to see. uh, And Zay, maybe the most impressive thing of that night for me, of all the guys, the men and women they had on that stage was Buster Rhymes. Really? That was incredible. I am fascinated by rap anyway, but I'm really fascinated by the guys who can go fast, really fast. And he got up there in the car, and I'll admit it, when I saw him, I'm like, I know who that is, but I don't know who that is. And my wife looks up. She's like, that's Buster Rhymes. That's who it is. Because, my wife looks it up. Because, dude, he had my hair. Buster Rhymes never had my oh, hair. Right. Okay. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. He used he, to have the dreads. I'm like, yeah. I know who that guy is, but I can't tell you who that guy is. So, um, but I, I will tell you, because of you, I was able to identify the song and the man, Method Man. I want you to know that happened. Oh, did do? Uh-huh. M-E-D-H-O-D, man. Yes, I knew that because of you. So thank you for that. You made me seem a little cooler in front of my daughter. But, yeah, Buster was incredible. 
He just he went through this incredible machine gun rap. The crowd loved it. They gave him a standing O. It was very cool. He's so underrated. I I think that run that he had in the nineties is legendary, but a lot of people I think since he raps so fast, it's hard to vibe to because sometimes you want to listen to the lyrics. Right. Sometimes you don't want to go back and rewind. Like, what did he say there? <laughs> huh? What so, was that? What was that? You got to do a lot of that with Busta. He say my mama or his mama? Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't yeah exactly. Yeah. But he was the man and leader of the new school, the group he was in, and he got real famous on Scenario with Tribe Called Quest. That was this coming out party, the inverse of that. And back in the 90s. It was great. If you had that last verse in the 90s, that means you were the dude. Yeah, it was very cool to see. Dude, Chuck D and Flavor Flav were up on that stage. Wow. That's something I never thought I would see. Uh, now that, again, could just mean we're all old now and it's all safe to the Grammys. And that's could be sad. But I'm trying to take the happy route on this one. So shout out to the Grammys on Sunday. I always try to check it out and see where we are in music. That's where the crab bag is today. We do it at 1245 every day. Up next, we'll put the flex segment early in the hour. Zay will tell you about the basketball game he's looking at tonight. We'll tell you what flex has for you right now. A lot of stuff going on uh, coming off a signing day. Of course, the big signing for Texas will be a part of that as well. And then at 1.30, we'll talk to Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus and get his thoughts on the Super Bowl. He is live there at Radio Row. Super Bowl Stu is going to grab him and throw him on the mic for us. Coming up, stay with us. It's the Horn.